Welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. I'm your host, Alice Stoltz, and today we're looking at selling in 2020 and revisiting stamp duty. Late last week, we received information from the Real Estate Institute of Victoria around what real estate activity is permitted during the current Stage 4 lockdown in Melbourne and the Mitchell Shire. Services related to settlement and ending tenancies, including collecting keys, valuations, pest building inspections and changing locks, are all allowed. Agents can go to their office to get something if needed for settlement or ending tenancies. Tenants can also get carpet cleaners, gardeners, locksmiths to make sure they get their bonds back when they end a tenancy. Also permitted are urgent repairs and cleaning of common areas of buildings. In cases where a lease has been signed and a bond has been paid, agents can hand over keys to new tenants using a contactless key collection system, where agents open the property and leave the keys inside for the tenant. It's still unclear if this would apply to new tenancies where an agreement has not yet been signed, but the REIV is seeking further clarification from the government on this point. The REIV is also lobbying the state government to again allow private inspections of properties both for sale and for lease. If you have never sold a property before, it can be difficult to know where to start. And if you have sold before, should your approach change in 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic? Over the next few weeks, we'll be revisiting the various stages of selling a property in the current environment. Today, we're looking at how you can take the idea of selling and actually set it into motion. Later on in the show, we'll be diving into stamp duty with economist Evan Lucas. But first, with me to provide some advice on how to go about selling your property is Domain's Money and Advice Editor, Dan Budkovich. Dan, thank you for joining me on what is kind of a tricky area for a lot of people. I hope we can unpack and try to make it as simple as possible. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a tricky one. Um, but, but look, there are actually some opportunities right now as well. So, so we can go through all those. Okay, great. Now, Dan, with the country's economy taking a hit and the future quite uncertain, why would people want to sell right now? Look, people have a lot of different reasons to sell and often the economy is somewhat irrelevant. The classic example is an, an upgrading family. You know, if the kids are becoming teenagers or, or, or if there's another child on the way, those needs arise and often the timing can't be decided to align with the economy. I guess the other factor is, is our changing lifestyles as well. You know, a lot of people working from home, it, it sort of made people take stock and go, okay, what do I really want? But one other, you know, I guess compelling one is looking at the financial side of things and and I guess the, the the factor that a lot of people overlook is there's potentially that discount that you can get by upgrading in a downturn. Yeah, so it's like we're almost adding a, a fourth D to that expression that, you know, people usually sell because of death, divorce or debt. Yeah. And then discounting could now be added to that because it obviously is a very compelling factor for many people. I guess if you look at what's happened in the market recently, so if we look at Sydney, for example, the median for apartments fell about $14,000 over the last quarter, whereas the median for houses fell 23000 So, So there is that relative discount by upgrading to that higher value property. And it's I think in Melbourne, the, the difference is actually even bigger. The median, I think, fell 9000 but for houses, it fell 32000 So there's an opportunity for upgraders in the market right now. Now, Dan, if people do have to sell or do actually choose to sell, how far in advance do people have to begin their planning when it comes to putting a property on the market for sale? What is a realistic timeline? People probably start thinking about selling, you know, over a sort of a six to 12 month period before that actual 
sale. But if you really want to be quick about it, you, you can you can have photos taken on a Tuesday. You can have the listing uploaded on on a Thursday to domain, and uh, you can have you know that first inspection on the Saturday. Uh, but but for most people, realistically, what what I, what I would recommend is allow yourself at least a month to get all your ducks aligned. That gives you time to declutter the property, clean it, uh, maybe make any improvements if you need to. And also look at styling and things like that. But one of the most important things really is is to actually start interviewing your local agents, doing a market research on your local area, you know, looking at what properties have sold for near you and kind of tracking the campaign so, so you can get an idea of the value of your property and sort of where you might stand. Mm. I know during the first lockdown, there were certainly a lot of people who sort of took the opportunity to do a lot of that sort of pre-sale work. And we heard of a lot of styling businesses that were quite busy preparing properties for sale with people waiting to list until the lockdown ended. And now, you know, around me, there are quite a lot of properties for sale that obviously were made to be ready during that last lockdown period. And now we're in lockdown period again in Victoria. And um, and, and most seem to still be going ahead with the sale of their property. Because I think once you've made that decision to sell and you've got your property ready, it is tricky to retract back from that, isn't it? You've sort of, I think, psychologically and often physically made that decision. Well, look, the, the psychological aspect is, is huge, especially if you've started thinking about, you know, what's next. So if you're upgrading, you've, you've probably started shopping for that next property and you've probably got this idea in your mind. And, and so you want to kind of, I guess, go ahead. But that being said, you know, the, the agents I'm talking to are saying all the buyers they're kind of taking through properties are, are those really serious ones. So they've got that increased interest and the increased time to, I guess, negotiate with those serious buyers who are ready to, to buy in the market. Mm. You touched on before, Dan, one of the most important things is obviously finding an agent, which I, I agree with. And I also think it's really important to understand the value of your property, given that that may or may not prompt you to, to sell or not to sell at that moment in time. In terms of understanding the value of a property. What's the best way for people to do that, do you think? There's a couple of ways. Um, the first and the easiest is what would be called an automatic valuation. So um, basically what this does, analyzes all the recent sales in your area, looks at your property attributes, so I guess your, your land size or your, if you're in an apartment, the floor space, the number of bedrooms, bathrooms and car spaces, all those kind of things, and I guess produces an estimate of the value of your home. And, and Domain actually has one of these domain for owners where you can, I guess, easily follow that value of your property. But basically what that does is gives you an, a, a range or an idea of what your property is worth in the current market. The other way is a professional valuation, and that's where a valuer actually comes in and looks at your property, all the different attributes about it, you know, which way it faces, what kind of street it's on. That will cost you a couple of hundred dollars, but it is generally quite accurate. And there's a, it's, it's, you know, from an independent and impartial sort of viewpoint. And, and the other way is, is an appraisal. So that's where you get you know, your local real estate agent or ideally a number of real estate agents through the property. They'll look at the property and they'll give you an idea of what price could achieve in the current market. And that's based on, you know, their recent sales activity as well. And I would recommend having a number of appraisals, firstly, because the uh, estimate can vary quite a bit, but also because you get to talk to the agents, see them in action and get a good idea of who you might choose to sell your property when it comes to it. Dan, in terms of research, what other things can people do to really empower themselves when it comes to selling their property? So I guess for someone who's upgrading or buying that next property, 
one of the really important things to do is to understand your financial position. So I'd recommend talking to a broker or lender to basically find out how much you could spend on that next property if you sold your current property. So just understanding what your budget is for that next property is really helpful. Mm. And I think in this market, shopping around for interest rates also, given that they are so low at the moment. Yeah, it's the best time to be shopping around for a new home loan deal if you're paying too much interest. Dan, how is the process of selling now different to selling prior to COVID? What are people tending to go to at the moment with lockdowns in certain states and, and the threat of them in other states? Are auctions still a good idea? Look, in this situation, it really depends on the kind of market that you're in. So if your local market, if auction is the norm, um, if your all the local real estate agents are recommending auction, then I generally tend towards an auction. Basically, the benefit of the auction is it gives the buyers that deadline to act. So they've got that auction date in their head and they know they need to buy the property at that auction or before potentially um, that auction date. Um, I guess we're still seeing clearance rates that are pretty good. You know, something like two thirds of the properties are selling under the hammer. So that's a really strong result. And that being said, you know, with an auction, you can also sell after the auction date if the property passes in. Look, I, I would still say auction has its place in markets where it's, it's the preferred form of selling. Mm. And I think for me, I always prefer auctions purely for the transparency. Yeah, it's a a really robust way, I guess, to find out the the true value of the property. Dan, how important is it finding the right agent to negotiate on your behalf during this bizarre time that we found ourselves in? Look, it's it's really important. So I guess when you're interviewing all your agents, you want to know how they've adapted to the current conditions. So I'm not just talking about, you know, bringing masks and hand sanitizer. I guess you want someone who knows what buyers are in the market right now, um, you know, what kind of budgets they have. You want someone with a lot of, you know, qualified buyers, you know, on their database, someone who can recommend a really strong marketing strategy and, and someone who's consistently achieved, I guess, above average results in the area throughout this period. So so there's there's so much to consider. But yeah, it's, sometimes it can just come down to your to your gut, really. Dan, thanks for joining me today. That was really interesting. No worries. Thank you. Next week, we'll continue our seller focus and look at the process of choosing an agent and how to engage them and what to expect throughout that process. The much maligned stamp duty is back in the news with an extension of stamp duty relief being announced for first home buyers in New South Wales. Throughout 2020, there has been so much talk about the efficiency and the effectiveness of the tax and whether now, in the midst of the COVID-19 response, is the right time for it to be reformed. With me to discuss the state of stamp duty and a look at possible alternatives is Evan Lucas, Chief Market Strategist at InvestSmart. Evan, thanks for joining me. Good morning, Alice. How are you? Really well, really well. And I'm kind of really intrigued to tease out what's happening here because on July 27th, the New South Wales government announced eligible first home buyers could access stamp duty exemptions on new home purchases worth up to $800,000. And then, of course, new home builds will also see stamp duty discounts available for purchases between $800,000 and $1 million. Now, Evan, what kind of effect could we see this have on the New South Wales market, do you think? We've actually probably already seen it because they had a similar policy up to 650000 So if you look at volume, the volume jump since 2017, when they've basically changed that, that number for sales between six forty and 650000 is so far ahead of the next several brackets on either side of it. And you can also therefore see it's a behavior. This is what we're talking about with stamp duty. It's a behavior impactor. Clearly, people cut themselves off once it jumps across 650. 
So moving it up to 800, it will therefore smooth out that cutoff. It'll also probably mean that you'll get a volume increase across the ranges all the way up to 800,000. But as you pointed out, there's some caveats with it. It's clearly new builds. It's first homeowners as well. So it certainly will help the volume of the market. It'll certainly mean that first homeowners don't have that economic impact that comes with stamp duty of being roughly five, five and a half percent, depending on which state you're in, which is a good step forward, but it is still stamp duty. <laughs> mm. Now, on that note, Evan, why has there been so much talk of stamp duty reform this year? The states get about roughly a quarter, but in the last couple of years when we've had a, a really big housing boom in places like Victoria and New South Wales, it's actually pushing up to around about 40 to 42%. It's incredible amount, isn't it's it? It's huge, isn't it? Yeah. It's massive um, of state revenue coming from a transactional tax. It means your ability to budget is very, very hard. Your ability to control you know, surpluses and deficits, which in, let's be honest, in the COVID world is probably not a question to be really worried about anymore. The one adverted commas, and I say this very clearly, silver lining that comes with COVID is that tax reform and the great reformer that it's going to be, because we've all been hit this big reset button, is now in play. And, and that's why you're hearing it, because if they can start looking at doing things like land tax, if they can start doing things like a property revenue tax that is more consistent per year, then that will certainly improve state revenues. And it also gets back down to the idea that, okay, if I don't have to pay 500 bit percent of my $1 million house, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, whereas I sort of will have it paid out over years of my living in that house, it's certainly a much more attractive scenario for both sides of the equation. Mm. If we drill that down a bit further on what options might be in terms of replacing stamp duty, can you just take me through what, what, what are some options in that, in that regard? You just touched on them there, but let's go a bit further d- down the track. Yeah. So there is a whole range of them. And and again, I won't talk about this much, but there is also suggestions that you could actually replace it with a broadening of GST tax because clearly the majority of GST revenues, even though it gets collected federally, actually ends up going through the states. That is is one. However, that is politically a very hard thing to argue. So let's let's talk about the other thing. So property land tax is is what we're talking about. We all pay it. You all know it. It's expensive, but it's certainly not 5% of your total property value. You'd be looking at seeing increases in this. Uh, now, we we're actually sort of getting a rough idea of how it could look. The ACT is started to do something in their 20-year plan where you're actually seeing property taxes increase by about 5 to 7% per annum at the moment to try and catch up to the big revenue hole they've created by pulling stamp duty out. So this is the the other parts of it, but this is how it would work. It would be you'd pay a quarterly basis on per square meter of your house for basically the the time that you live there with a 30-year view is mostly how it works. So basically inside of that, it means you get a consistent revenue for the state government. It is more efficient, but in saying that, it does mean that your land tax that you get, the the council rates that you're looking at, that's how it would probably come to you in terms of how it would apply instead of being, you know, between sort of $1,500 and $3,000 a year, you're talking about it could be between sort of $3,000 and as much as eight to $10,000 a year. So there is, this isn't a silver bullet, it certainly smooths things out, but it does add a level of expense to the household that hasn't been factored in necessarily. 
Now, Evan, I always like to sort of look at evidence if we can. And I know that in 2012, the ACT government began a 20-year tax reform program that will ultimately result in transfer duties on property being abolished in favour of higher on your property rates. How is that working for that market there? Do you have much knowledge about how that's tracking? So we do to a point. I mean, the ACT is a very small market. It's, it's starting to work. So it's been in for now eight years and you're seeing, again, the way they're doing it, it's looking at mainly towards new homes. It's seen an increase in basically units to housing of about sort of 7 to 11% respectively on the land tax tonight. Um, it has put a very big hole in the ACT's state budget. So let's also point that out. But it is progressing and it is actually working for them. They are actually seeing volumes move. They're actually starting to see interest in higher brackets move, which suggests that it's a positive. Uh, again, what they're trying to offset with that, though, is that existing properties and non-residential properties are being hit with all three. So they've been hit with stamp duty, but they're also having to pay increased GST and also increase stamp duty. So it's not perfect and certain parts of the market are being impacted by the same problem that comes with stamp duty where you are economically hit between the eyes by buying an existing property over a certain price or if you're a business trying to move. So it's not perfect yet, but they are eight years into a 20-year project and it is showing signs that it is assisting particularly first-time owned buyers and particularly the lower end of the market. Evan, thank you for your time. I'll let you go, but it was really interesting talking to you as always. Thank you as always for having me on, Alice. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us. Next week, we'll be talking with Managing Director of House Australia and New Zealand, Tony Bean, about the latest trends in home improvement. We'll also continue our seller focus and look at the best ways to track down the best real estate agent to sell your property. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like answered, let us know. You can send us an email at propertyunpacked@domain.com.au. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and look out for further episodes dropping every Thursday. Property Unpacked is hosted by me, Alice Stoltz. This episode was produced by Alexandra Spangaro and Stephen Claxton with support by Danielle Janopoulos and Hayley Cools. It was edited and mixed by Dan McHugh. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au. Thank you.